Welcome to Prophecy Girls, a Buffy rewatch podcast. I'm Kara Babcock, pronouns she, her. And I'm Stephanie Chow, pronouns she, her. Join us each week as we break down every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer from the beginning. This is a spoiler-free podcast, so whether you're watching for the first time or longtime fans like us, we'll be analyzing every episode, character, and storyline like it's our first time too. During this rewatch, we'll reminisce about our memories of Buffy, discuss the show's cultural impact, and provide honest commentary on how Buffy has matured since its premiere in 1997. Thanks for listening. Now on to the episode. Okay, Steph, here we go. Let's do it. Episode one, welcome to the Hellmouth Buffy Rewatch Podcast. I am so excited. And we are here to rewatch Buffy the Vampire Slayer from episode one, which is what we're talking about today. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we're going to keep things spoiler free, which means that if you never watched this series before, we're not going to tell you what's coming next. We know. And uh, trust us, it's killing us not to tell you. But we're going to keep it spoiler free. We might hint from time to time. We might foreshadow just to keep you excited, uh, especially for those of you who are rewatching with us. But we're excited to hear both from longtime fans and from people who are watching Buffy from for the first time. What are you thinking of the show? And what do you think of our reactions to it? Even you and I don't know what our reactions are really going to be to it, going into it with an open mind, though. And mm-hmm. I think for season one, we're going to need to have an open mind. Oh, yeah. Season one is a little rough. But I mean, that's true for most shows, especially in that time period. So, uh, So we did an introductory episode that you can listen to if you want to learn a little bit more about me and Steph and our relationship with Buffy and our friendship and all that good stuff. You can grab the introductory episode and listen to that first. Yeah. And it gives a bit, we give a bit of a Buffy background too, if you want to know what came before episode one. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's do this. Let's like, welcome to the Hellmouth season one, episode one. Okay. We start with the introduction, which actually, I don't, is it the same for you? I forgot that they used to introduce every episode this way. I, I didn't forget it. I, I remember it as being the cheesy introduction. I forget when they stopped doing it. I can't remember if that they stopped that in season two or if they kept it for a while. Okay. Yeah, I would I would hope so because I do find it kind of nasally. <laughs> what? So you, Just... you're not going to hire this guy to narrate our podcast trailer? I mean, no, I would, because obviously he was very good and impressed executives at the WB. But uh, I just find it, he's like, you know, she alone will stand. Like, he's just like really intense about it. It might have actually been Joss Whedon. <laughs> I, I think that the script does him no favors. It's very, like, <laughs> over the top. So they do a little intro. We kind of find out, you know, she alone will stand against the, the demons and the vampires. Which is We're not true, like a... but fine. <laughs> fair enough but we don't know that yet right so we're like okay we're we're entering it's very obvious that we're entering a supernatural show yeah there are demons there's something called a slayer there's a bunch of stuff going on there's lore here that we're gonna need to know about we pan into a high school and it says sunnydale high it we're kind of like sweeping through the school and it's kind of eerie it's got a very like a horror movie vibe like the eerie music it's dark it's nighttime and then we see a guy and a girl break through the window 
And the girl's really apprehensive as they're walking through the hallways, and the guy is really into this. He's really gung ho. I think he, I think he thinks they're gonna go fuck. Like I think they're gonna go like <laughs> they're breaking into the school to like make love. <laughs> like I think that's what's happening. Um, they both also look like they're forty, but you know that's neither here nor there. I thought the girl looked fairly young, um, not like high school age. But... She's wearing a schoolgirl outfit though, so we can. Yeah. assume that she goes to school here but yeah so we don't know why they're breaking in they just are she's getting scared she's like oh i think i hear a noise and he's like no you don't he's kind of teasing her about it and then he reassures her that they're there alone and she turns around and she's a vampire and she bites him mm-hmm. and that's our first look at vampires for the show and what they look like and how they operate and One thing I love is that they waste no time showing us a vampire, right? The show is Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and, like, within the first two minutes, we see a vampire, which, you know, I'm feeling fulfilled and satisfied already. (laughs) And the other thing I love is that they've they've subverted the trope of the bad boy misleading the innocent girl. Yeah, yeah, you're so right, because I actually, like, looking at this from somebody who's never seen it before, or pretending to be someone who's never seen it before, you would think the guy was was up to no good. Yeah, and I so I think that the the girl being the vampire, rather than being the innocent, is already, the, this episode is foreshadowing the whole series, and it's sending this message to these viewers that this is not your parents' horror show. You know, this is something different, which I think is something we're going to see throughout season one, because Buffy was a mid-season replacement show. That's why season one is shorter than the rest of the seasons. And they really, I think, wanted to work hard to make this show appealing to that younger audience that would maybe think, okay, well, vampires, kind of boring. Why do we care? So... They're immediately sending this message that you need to uh, be prepared to be surprised. You can't make these assumptions about who's good and who's evil because we are going to fuck you up. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, it's also interesting that um, the vampire vamp face is is a thing because don't forget Buffy came before Twilight before True Blood before Vampire Diaries and even like you know older texts like interview with a vampire these vampires don't change their face they're always angelic looking they're always looking like beautiful creatures of the earth until they attack you so i love that we see a vampire face like a Mm -hmm. demon's face like i remember watching twilight and he's like i'm gonna go in the light and show you what i look like and he was like she's like you're beautiful and i was like oh like i want to see a buffy vamp face i want him to be hideous yeah i feel like there's such a dichotomy of people who've seen or read Twilight where it's like if you've seen Buffy or if you haven't seen Buffy it really influences your perspective on Twilight and I'm not saying that everybody who's seen Buffy doesn't like Twilight but I feel like everybody who's seen Buffy and who then sees Twilight looks at Twilight very differently from people who never saw Buffy and don't understand like what vampires used to be. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah exactly uh so yeah i do i think this opening scene did you're right it tells us everything we need to know like this is not your like you said it's not your parents vampire show it's also like we're set in high school there's something like younger and sexier about it and it's gonna be surprising we're gonna we're not gonna know what's gonna come mm-hmm. 
All right, so then we get our first taste of the opening credits, oh, which is so I iconic. Them. I love these oh, credits. So good. They're my favorite mm-hmm. credits of all like not of all time. They're some of my favorite credits of all time. Uh, yeah. That theme music is just so catchy. Like, how can you not like headbang to that music? <laughs> I just love. I love how um, it's also like original music that they created for the show. Because a lot of the times, you know, theme songs, they just take, you know, Mm -hmm. like Dawson's Creek, like, I don't want to wait. Like, they take a pop song. Uh, This one was obviously very created with a tone in mind. Like, this is kind of like edgy, but poppy and like campy. And it's a lot of stuff. One thing I want to say about the credits as well, in addition to the music, is they pick great shots from the whole season. So if you're paying attention and you look at the opening credits, you can see glimpses of what's going to be coming in this season. Yep, there are little spoilers, little nods to things that are to come. And I will also say it's nice to have a, a theme song. A lot of shows these days don't have them anymore. They don't have the opening credits. Oh, yeah, They're just like, I you'll agree. know who, you know who this is. You know who's in it. Like, that's basically well, Yeah, the whole, like, title card <laughs> is just so boring. <laughs> yeah, so I, I like... I like that the, the the show needs to establish its theme and they can do that through the opening credits, you know? Mm-hmm. Okay, so we are done the opening credits. We go to the first scene and it is a girl lying in bed and she's having what appears to be a nightmare. And the nightmare, I, I wrote down what I could see in the nightmare. It was very, it went by pretty quickly, like the, the flashes. It's like a dark cave, uh, a cemetery, skulls, a trinket, a demon with a white face, another demon that's green, a cross, uh, the walking dead in a field, there's claws, and then a vampire, and she wakes up. And we don't know who she is, but I think we can all guess who it might be. And then sure enough, we hear a woman shout, Buffy, don't want to be late for your first day. So this is Buffy, presumably Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And... And this is it. This is our star. This is who the show is about. And she looks 12 years old. (laughs) I don't know. I think she looks roughly her age. So Sarah Michelle Gellar in real life is about uh, three years older than I think Buffy's chronological age. So she's actually pretty close in age to like 19. Yeah, she's about 19 or 20 20 at this this point. Um, But I, I think a lot of it is her hair and her hairstyle changes so much throughout the series. Um, yes. And right now her hairstyle is just like very like youthful. Yes, very voluminous, very bouncy. Mm-hmm. Uh, she wears a barrette later. Um, but anyway, so we were looking at Buffy and this is our, our star. And obviously beside her bed, there's like a giant moving box and all this stuff. And since her mom says it's her first day of school, we assume that they just moved to town. Her and her family. So... We pan over to the high school, Sunnydale High, where I don't think these students know a murder occurred. <laughs> I assume that that vampire cleaned up the blood. And uh, uh, Buffy's mother is dropping her off in front of the school. And I just want to take a second and just say that, like, this is such a mom thing to do. Is She's dropping her off and she's being really positive And she's just like, you know, have a good time. You're going to make friends. And, like all, like, all these good vibes. And then she's just like, try not to get kicked out mm-hmm. and <laughs> i love that line i wrote that down yeah. in my notes and that's mm-hmm. also one of the first hints we get at continuity from the movie which came before mm-hmm. the tv series and so we will talk a little bit more about this in the intro episode but basically the movie ends with buffy taking on a whole bunch of vampires at her prom 
uh, at her old high school in Los Angeles. And we don't know that she got kicked out at the end of the movie, but so that line is sort of establishing why they've moved to Sunnydale. And mm-hmm. then, you know, we, we go in, when we go into the next scene with her conversation with the principal, we hear a little bit more about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so mom's being really positive with a little bit of judgmental, a little judgmental flair in there, which is very mom. Buffy says she promises and then starts walking up the stairs. And then this boy on a skateboard is being super obnoxious, like almost knocking into people as he's coming toward her. Um sees Buffy and then bails hard like like runs into the railing falls off his skateboard I'm guessing he was blinded by sexual longing because he was just staring at Buffy just staring at her and after he falls a uh there is a tiny little girl with red hair long long red hair and uh he calls her Willow so this is Willow and she helps him up and I they're walking toward the school and you can tell that they're friends and they're being a little bit flirty in my opinion but as they walk toward the high school, uh, she tells him, oh, he's asking her for help with her with math. So she's like, you have to go to the library to get one of those math books. And then their friend Jesse shows up and then they immediately start talking about the new girl. They call her a hottie. Uh, they're kind of objectifying her. <laughs> but I guess that's just how high school boys talk. Like, I don't know. Uh, it left a bad taste in my mouth, though, because I just I just don't like that how he was like so infatuated with her when he saw her that he like walked into something like i don't know this is the 90s right like this is how high school boys are are treated in these Mm. kind of shows but i'm like you know can you just like take a second and not be so obsessed right away i mean this entire episode is very horny (laughs) yeah 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 but i mean i guess that that's also ties into like we right right like we started this episode with people like, like the whole horny teenagers breaking into a school to make out and have fun mm-hmm. but no this this entire episode is one of the horniest episodes of this season i think like it dies down there's a couple of horny episodes in this season but it dies down for at least a few episodes yeah uh just everybody yeah. everybody want like they're teenagers i guess it's the whole like raging hormones i don't know what that's all yeah. about it's never worked for me <laughs> but yeah um, <laughs> i don't know what it's about either and like that has worked for me in the past so i just feel like what is going are, on? are you too um, far from your hormonal teenage self to understand that anymore it's, i i just don't like it i think it's just it's just like it's just weird that these two guys are talking about this girl that they like literally just glanced at and they're like oh mm. she's so hot uh, what do you think about her like i'm like oh it's weird um but also like i mean think about vampires vampires themselves are like represent sexuality right they're like yep. they come out at night they're all about like like sharing fluids like there's a whole mythology around vampires and sex but anyway i digress we go to the next scene buffy like you said earlier is in the principal's office and uh the principal is kind of going over her transcripts it's really funny how he like rips it up while he's talking to her um and he gives a little context he says she moved from la she's a she is a sophomore and as he is ripping it up, we realize he he notes that she was expelled, and then he starts taping up the trans. Yeah, he that's starts a, them back up. <laughs> that's a fantastic little element of physical comedy. And one thing I will say is Buffy gets a lot of praise for its snappy dialogue, but if you watch closely, there's so much understated physical comedy in this show 
that it's it's such a joy because these actors they make the most of what they're doing so they're not just standing around and talking all the time they're always doing something to you know keep you interested keep you laughing so keep an eye out for that as we keep watching these episodes well, anyway, while, while he's ta- she's talking to the principal, Buffy's kind of shook. Like, she's kind of like, you can tell she's really earnest that she wants to start off on a good foot. And the principal kind of gives her the classic, you know, like, well, I'm watching you kind of speech. And uh, as she's leaving, she bumps into a, a student who rudely knocks, o- knocks her over. And her bag opens up and spills contents everywhere. And the boy from the skateboard earlier, like, uh, you know, a couple minutes earlier sees this and comes to help her but instead of saying can i help you he says can i have you and it's like one of those classics like uh like one of those slip of the tongue because obviously what he's thinking about is having sex with her so automatically he's just like can i have you and she looks at him and i i think she acts like she doesn't hear it or she's just like what and he's just like oh can can i help you and then he introduces himself as xander so now we know that his name is xander and he makes really awkward small talk with her and she's polite about it. And then you can tell she's kind of creeped out by it too. And then she leaves, but not before forgetting her stake, her wooden stake, which is really, really big. I don't know how she missed it, but <laughs> like Xander picks it up and he's like, wait, you forgot your stake. It's a, it's, a, it's a scene that sets up that Xander is a obviously obsessed with Buffy right away. And that Buffy doesn't give a shit about it. <laughs> like, yeah, she kind fair. of ignores it. Mm-hmm. Moving on, Buffy's in history class. Uh, sh- she needs a textbook, and the girl beside her introduces herself as Cordelia. And Cordelia is beautiful and tall and brunette, and like actually gorgeous. Like she's a okay. gorgeous woman. I'll take your word for it. Um, <laughs> I-, I just my reaction to this is you know having watched Buffy and Angel and like seeing like all of these characters grow Cordelia for me has this really special place in my heart because she starts off as one of the most shallow characters and whoops spoiler yeah no like all I'm gonna say (laughs) is I can't believe how much she grows from this shallow beginning yes Yes, and it is a very shallow beginning. And you can just tell from their conversation with Buffy, she offers to show Buffy where the library is. And the stuff they talk about, you're like, oh, well, Cordelia is obviously your textbook, stereotype, typical Mm -hmm. high school popular girl. So They talk about LA, they talk about shoes, they talk about popularity. She gives her like a cool test, which is Right, so so I I do have something to say about this, which I'll get to later in the episode. But for now, all I'm going to say is... I mean, I was never in the popular crowd, so I'm not sure if that was, like, the test she gives Buffy, is that, like, a legit thing that somebody would actually do? <laughs> um, but the whole bullying of Willow is, I think, on point. Uh, yeah, so is that something that people do? Uh, I hope not, but I wouldn't put it past a girl to test somebody on what they know is cool or not. But I think it's also a way that Cordelia is kind of establishing dominance, right? Like, you have to say the right thing. Mm-hmm. Or I'm not going to let you in with the cool crowd. And, you know, in high mm-hmm. school, especially a small town high school, being cool is probably a really big deal. So they run into Willow at the water fountain. And you're you're right. She bullies her. She straight up is such a bitch and, like, makes fun of her outfit. And Willow is so sweet and is just like, oh, my mom bought it for me. 
And Cordelia is like, oh, well, it's nice to see she knows the softer side of Sears. And like in retro, you know, in some regards, hilarious, hilarious quote. On the other hand, it's like, you bitch. Like yeah. <laughs> Willow's just getting water. Like leave her alone, you know? And um, I, I kind of love Willow, how awkward she is, how how cute she is, because she's just kind of like, oh, and then walks away. <laughs> Will- Willow is like, also one of my faves. And I, I think low-key, yeah. she was like one of my like girl role, mo- role models growing up. Um, you oh, know, nice. I really identify with her awkward nerdiness. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's that's definitely one of the things I'm going to be watching for as we go through the series more. It's kind of like, how much of Willow is in me now that I've come out as trans? Yeah, I love that. <laughs> And the thing, too, is, like, I mean, I think Buffy feels the same way. She also sees a bit of Willow in her, like, that awkwardness, that unsureness. Because Buffy looks after Willow as she walks away and is very, like, wow. Like, A, I just watched this girl get horribly bullied. What am I going to do about it as, like, the slayer? Um, But also more so, like, I, I feel this way. But because I'm pretty and I dress right and I care about my hair this girl has opened her doors to me because it's a very shallow, superficial person mm-hmm. that we, so far that we know of. So, yeah, so I, I think I, I am also interested to track Willow and how we both feel about her going into the series. Uh, so after this horrible situation of bullying, um, Cordelia invites Buffy to the Bronze, which is apparently a club in the bad part of town. And I'm kind of like... How old are they? What mm-hmm. day is it? Yeah. Is this like a Tuesday? Like, what's going on? P- people, Why are they going to a club? Yeah. L- listeners who've actually lived in California as teenagers, was this a thing that you did? Did you go to clubs as 16-year-olds? I want to know because it seems fucking weird to me as somebody who grew up in Thunder Bay, Ontario. Uh, the <laughs> idea that a 16-year-old would be allowed out at night and allowed <laughs> to go to a club. Yeah, is there alcohol at this club? Why is it a school night? Why is it in the bad part of town? <laughs> What's going on? Oh, that was the I, I have more thoughts on the bronze once we actually get there later in the episode, for sure. I Yeah, let, we'll, we'll get there, everybody. So Buffy enters the library alone and is looking for the librarian. And as she's looking around, and this this library is beautiful. Oh, yes. So nice. Compared to the rest of the school, it's like somebody built the library like afterwards. Uh, yeah, it would be a shame like if anything future. ever happened to it. Yeah, I would hate to see that. Uh, but anyway, Buffy's looking around. There's a newspaper that has like a missing boy article. And it's like circled and there's a red circle around it. <laughs> and that kind of made me laugh out loud when I saw it because I was like, oh, someone is doing some really thorough research here. um but anyway Buffy's looking at that and then a hand reaches out and taps her on the shoulder and she turns around and there is a uh tall English gentleman standing right there and he guesses he's like are you Buffy Summers and she says uh yeah she's new and he introduces himself as Mr. Giles the librarian and uh she starts saying what she's after and he's like I know what you're after (laughs) and he goes behind the the counter and pulls out a giant vampire book and slams it down in front of her it's that physical comedy again right where it's like (laughs) 
there's there's no reason for that book to exist there's no reason other than for it to be like a really funny prop for sure and um vampires also spelt funny like it's not like how you would it's got a y in it which made me laugh yeah it's like old-timey um, kind of spelling foreign <laughs> like because the word vampire comes from like german and a couple of other eastern european le- legends where uh the vampire legend comes from so it's spelt a couple of different ways in different languages and yeah so, so the the y spelling makes the book seem a little bit more exotic it's been passed down many a time you can tell uh Bappy doesn't like that she's like oh that's not what i'm looking for and she she pieces she leaves really quickly so this was th- that was her mistake everybody knows that you go to the library and you use the buddy system like what do you say you're saying that she should have brought cordelia she should have brought somebody right like <laughs> yeah <laughs> could have avoided all this awkwardness with the librarian like slapping a book in your face <laughs> yeah and also like like touching on her on the shoulder <laughs> just just it was a weird interaction and she got freaked out and she there left. is a lot oh, of bad student teacher boundaries in this whole series right <laughs> and as a teacher i'm gonna have to point out all of them because it's bad yes i can't wait for you to be i'm gonna ask you i'm gonna be like is this appropriate like i'm, gonna, I'm just gonna use you as, as somebody trust me as, the answer is uh, always no <laughs> Okay, so the next scene, there's there's these two girls in a locker room, and, and they're talking shit about Buffy. Like, they're just like, oh, I heard she moved from L.A. I heard she used to beat people up. Like, they're being really rude. And then the one girl who, I don't know if you know this, Kara, she is from Breaker High, a very popular Canadian television show from the 90s. Never heard of it. And, oh, well, that's your loss. <laughs> you should go check it out. Um, but anyway, she opens her locker, and a body falls out of the locker and lo and behold it's the guy from the beginning of the episode who we all forgot was murdered and you know what do we th- should we keep a tally of all the murders that this show racks up no because i would lose count with this episode probably <laughs> the human murders um yeah so they so oh my god oh my god a body falls out of the locker she screams it's a great scream and then we, we cut to black we go to the next next scene and uh, we were outside, and Willow is brown bagging it, uh, enjoying her lunch by herself on a bench. And it is nice to see people eating outside at their lunch, because you and I have already said that we came from, we come from Thunder Bay, Ontario. Yeah, we eating don't do outside, that here. <laughs> Eating outside, you can do that for like thing. two weeks, two weeks <laughs> in the school year. And even then, I'd still be like, nah. <laughs> yeah, it's still not worth it. It's too windy. <laughs> Yeah, and, and yeah, and we've got and, like, you know, a routine now. I'm going to be at the lunchroom, you know, well, like, it's not going to be a thing. And this is something that really messed me up watching all these American TV shows, which all the high school shows were always set in California in front of these, you know, the same climate never changes. It's never raining. It's never snowing. And it's like, I never got that. And I'm like, is this how <laughs> it is? It's not a like, privilege all throughout the states like just does is that every teenager's experience and of course it's not because i know some of our listeners grow grew up in states that also had snow and stuff and probably are identifying more with our description of things but if you watch american tv it's just so incredibly biased in favor of this just (laughs) one note climate i would imagine that most people have our experience where they don't get to be outside Mm -hmm. all the time so willow's eating Buffy approaches her and I actually really love their little encounter because Buffy is being so nice and she's like, hi, Willow, right? And Willow says like, why? I mean, hi, did you want me to move? (laughs) 
This is the response of a girl who is just like, she's accepted that she's going to be bullied. I know, isn't it? It's like, that's why I, I like laughed when she said it because A, it's so sad and I laugh at inappropriate times, but like, it's so sad because you're right. Like she's obviously been bullied so much that she can't even expect somebody to just say hi to her without wanting something from her or or being rude in some way. Uh, so I love that she actually offered. She's like, do you want me to move? Instead of like, but I'm going to offer it before you, you know, reject me. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then and, and Buffy actually finds this like, so like, she's like, can we just start with me? Hey, I just want to hang out with you and maybe ask you for a little favor. Like Buffy wants help with school. She wants, she sees Willow. She actually sees Willow and is like, I hear that you're, the person who can help me make sure I don't flung out, that I don't fall behind, that I start off on the right okay, foot. Okay, 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 okay. Does she see Willow, or is she also just using Willow? Right. <laughs> I don't. I don't know because remember earlier when she watched B- Willow get brutally bullied by Cordelia, she did look after her, kind of being like this poor thing. Like mm-hmm. I, I feel a connection to her. That's what that's how I interpreted that that longing look. And Willow even kind of turned around at the door and looked back at her, at Buffy. So I feel like they already have a connection. There's something here that is unexplainable, but they're drawn to each other. It's mm-hmm. like destiny to me. Mm-hmm. That's, that's how I feel. So I feel like Buffy is being it, it does feel a connection to Willow and is going out of her way to get to know her. However, you're right. She does she does look at Willow and be like, that's obviously a nerd. <laughs> yeah, more. like, I, I was just playing devil as advocate. I agree with you. Yeah. But I think it's interesting that's how B- Buffy approaches it. And it says a lot about the dynamics of high school, right? Like, the yes. different cliques and stuff. Maybe that's the only way Buffy can approach it. It's like, how do I become friends with this person? Well, I guess I have to, like, pretend to have a reason because otherwise she's going to be suspicious. Yep, yep, I agree. And uh, I mean, they even have a conversation about it, right? Where Willow says, like, aren't you hanging out with Cordelia? And Buffy's like, can I do both? And so Willow understands the dynamics of high school, as does Cordelia. But Buffy doesn't seem to care. And I kind of, it makes me like Buffy more. The fact that she's hanging out with Willow. And Willow goes off about the library because Buffy's like, oh, like, she's like, yeah, I can help you. Like, let's go to the library and study. And Buffy's weirded out by that because for, you know, she, that guy tried to push a vampire book on her and she was like, I don't want that. So we learn through this conversation that Willow um, knows that the librarian is also new, just like Buffy. Hmm, Very suspicious. And he was a curator at a British museum or the British museum, as she says. (laughs) And Buffy's taking this all in. And that's when Xander and Jesse show up. And Buffy makes his face like, oh, shit, these fucking guys again. You know, like, I don't know how to act around them. They kind of make me uncomfortable. Xander basically says a bunch of nonsense to her again. He's trying to be clever. He's trying to be cool, but he doesn't know how to be those things. So he comes off looking like a loser. And it's actually pretty funny because Jesse calls him out on it. Jesse's like, "Uh, are you turning into like a babbling idiot or something like that? And um, they both start asking Buffy really inappropriate questions like, Xander's kind of like, uh, tell me all about yourself. What do you like? What kind of what, what kind of guy are you into? They're really putting her on the spot. Yeah, and like, because Jesse's like, oh, tell us your deep dark secret. And Buffy is so uncomfortable, and she's giving off these verbal and nonverbal signals that she's not comfortable. But uh, they're just like, well, you're the shiny new toy, and we want to know about you because you're hot. Yeah, it would be so... a way different story if she were like a, a less conventionally attractive person, right? They would not yeah. be paying her so much attention. 
So it, it's uncomfortable. And like we were saying earlier, like this show, this is a horny episode in a show that is very much about sexuality in an era where that wasn't a subject that you could really de- depict on network TV very easily. So there's, there's a lot of skirting lines, and it's interesting how the show deals with that. But this scene, it, it I, I would say like this is one of the first of many scenes in this series that make me kind of go, Ugh. Yeah. I mean, so far this whole time, Jess, uh, Xander and Jesse, to this degree, uh, have made me be like, ugh. Like, can mm-hmm. you just like chill out for one second? But obviously, they're they're supposed to be like you know the the dorky nerds who are trying to impress the girl and they just don't know how to do it. And um, as they're talking to her, we also learn, by the way, that that Sunnydale is a one Starbucks town. And I found that interesting because I think growing up in Thunder Bay, like there was probably only one Starbucks while we grew up. Sure, I don't remember when Starbucks came to town, but I I agree. Mm-hmm. I think the first Starbucks was the one that was in Chapters, right? Yes, that one. Ooh, I still go there when I come home to visit. <laughs> yeah, so we we have a couple more. I don't even know. Yeah, no, we've no. we've only got like one freestanding one, <laughs> and then the rest yeah. are in like other stores. Like there's a couple in Safeways, <laughs> I think, like a little Starbucks kiosk. So we still yeah. are. I think technically we're two Starbucks down because we only have yeah. two proper Starbucks stores, and then the rest are like kiosks inside a grocery store. <laughs> So what we're saying is Thunder Bay is Sunnydale. So colder and fewer vampires. (laughs) That we know of, though, right? Cordelia shows up and she says, and Willow says the cutest, funniest thing. She's like, um, she's not hanging out with us. That's what she says to Cordelia. And I find that so funny because it's just like, it, it shows you a lot about Willow's character. We already know that she's unsure of herself, that she's unconfident, that she's, you know, for be- lack of a better word, the nerdy girl. But the fact that she automatically cares enough about Buffy that she doesn't want Cordelia, the school bully and the coolest girl in school, to know that Buffy's hanging out with her. You know, it's like she's trying to protect her from that. And I think that's so cute. Yeah. And it's also the fact that she thinks her saying anything would actually do something, right? Like, it's this knee-jerk reaction, (laughs) but it's like, Cordelia is barely going to listen to what you're saying, so... Uh, Cordelia finally says that a guy, a dead body, was found in the locker room, and Jim is is cancelled. And Jesse oddly hits on Cordelia at this point. He's like, oh, I'll be a shoulder to cry on if you want, or you can nibble on it. And it's so weird it's okay. so weird okay i will throw this in here though that line is okay. foreshadowing for what happens to jesse later i mean yeah we'll have to find out what that what that line means to the show but at the at the time that he said it i was like a that it's horrible and b now's not the time to be hitting on cordelia because she just told you a dead body was found on campus <sighs> inappropriate <laughs> inappropriate and um buffy obviously is is shook by this and she's like asking questions like is he what like you know uh how did he die were there marks on his body and cordelia's like a morbid much and i think i'd be the same way (laughs) if they if if they found a body on campus and the the new girl was like oh like were there marks i think that's kind of weird thing to say but at least Buffy is interested in the dead body because no one else seems to care. Right? Like, <laughs> no what if the school, like, she, Cordy's like, 
oh, you know, class was canceled. It's like, wouldn't the school be shut down? Wouldn't everybody be Wouldn't the police be there? Wouldn't the media show up? Wouldn't the principal have to address the town and the school? Wouldn't the students be questioned? There are so many things that would happen if a dead body was found on campus. (laughs) But I think this is our first indication that Sunnydale is different. And, and Something's not right. Sunnydale, both the high school and the city, they have a, a very different relationship with death and with strange happenings. And it's almost as if there's, you know, there's something in the air. It's like there's something that causes people to kind of look the other way because this strange stuff just keeps happening. I, I mean, humans are really good at dismissing strange things and rationalizing them, right? But, you know, mm-hmm. this this is not the first time that a dead body is kind of unremarkable and Sorry, this is the first time, um, but this is not the last time that a dead body <laughs> is kind of unremarkable in this high school. You're right, though. Like, this is just an indication, you know, Sunnydale's not like other schools. Like, no mm-hmm. one's going to give a shit if you're murdered in the hallway. <laughs> Maybe some schools are like that, and we're just, like, showing our privilege right now. I don't know. <laughs> so Buffy goes to investigate, and we actually see her strength for the first time because the door is locked. Which is, like, one good thing the school did was they locked the door to keep people out of seeing the body. And she rips it open. Like, she, she like, almost destroys the entire handle opening the door. So we see that Buffy's actually very strong. She's got a lot of power. And she finds the body, which is just lying there with a blanket over top of it. No one's doing anything about it. And checks it out. And clearly he's got bite marks and he's very pale. So he was drained of blood. So Buffy's like, ah, oh, shit. So she goes to the library to confront Mr. Giles. And we get a lot out of this scene. We get a lot about the dynamic that Buffy's going to have with Giles. We get a lot about Buffy's past and how she's feeling about her her new life in Sunnydale. Uh, it's a really revealing conversation because, first of all, like, Giles says that he expected this to happen. And she's like, well, I didn't. I, I actually thought, you know, on my first day, I'd be worried about making friends or looking cool or being behind in my classes. I didn't think yeah. this would be a problem here. Yeah, she's, she literally whines. It's my first day. And yeah. <laughs> I love yeah. this scene and how she takes umbrage because it's showing us firstly how young she is, right? Yes. She she doesn't yeah. want this responsibility. And mm-hmm. it shows us her reluctance to take on the Slayer mantle, right? She's not excited to be the Slayer. She's just like, oh, this again? Mm-hmm. And and it's funny, too, because it also shows like when Giles asks her, uh, will he rise again? And Buffy says no, uh, because if you want to make someone a vampire, there's a whole sucking thing. Like, they got to drink your blood. You got to drink their like she explains it. Mm-hmm. So she's like, no, he's not. So like it shows that she knows her stuff. She's she has experience in this field mm-hmm. of work. <laughs> and and Giles knows this about her and he like calls her out. He's like, I don't understand this attitude. Like, do you think it's a coincidence that you're here? Like, mm-hmm. why do you think this is happening around you? And and then he says it. He says the iconic, the iconic line well, to each generation. He tries to say it, but Buffy interrupts <laughs> him, and I love it. Like that, I I think it's great because it's iconic. Yeah. Again, like the show is the show is establishing this relationship where Giles is going to info dump as much as he can, and Buffy is going to interrupt him when she's tired of listening, and that's going to go on forever. Um, (laughs) And I also, like you were just saying, I love that the show is playing off of the movie and building on the movie's mythos 
we come into this first episode of the series with Buffy already knowing that she's the Slayer and that yep. it sucks to be the Slayer. And yeah, and that's it's not good for her personal life. It, exactly. It's scary. I think that's a lot more interesting than if the show had started her off being ignorant of her role and having her discover it in this episode or whatever. You know, this is still an origin story, but her awareness of the supernatural is more interesting than if she were completely ignorant because it's a nice way to get there's a, a nice way of getting us up to speed in this episode while she still has these moments where like you just said she can show off that she knows her stuff yeah yeah and and Giles shows that he knows his stuff too and he's he's not an idiot he's there for a reason and he said he gives exposition on Sunnydale where he's like you know this town is a steady has a steady stream of odd occurrences it's a center of mystical energy there are a lot of things that gravitate toward it that aren't just vampires there's zombies werewolves incubus succubus uh everything that you've been afraid of under your bed is in sunnydale so right there he's setting up the season for us right like what are we going to be seeing buffy take on that aren't just zombies it's any mm -hmm. creature of the night so this that, that's why the scene is so important because we're getting a, a really important relationship is being established and that and that Buffy does not see her being chosen as a blessing or a gift it's it's a curse to her yep. it, she doesn't want it so Buffy says she's retired and then uh and 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 <laughs> and Giles calls himself the watcher so we know that Giles has a title like there's a slayer and there's a watcher and a watcher's job is to train and prepare the slayer for what she has to face. So we know that Buffy got kicked out of school, that she lost all her friends in her old city, that she has to spend her time fighting vampires and keeping it all a secret from her friends. This is not the life that Buffy wants for herself. It's not what she would have chosen for herself, but I guess that's what being chosen is. <laughs> so much for that clean slate that Principal Flutie said she'd get. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I, I feel bad for Giles. I do, because we're learning more about him, too. And and he honestly is, like, surprised. I think he expected the Slayer. I think he expected to when he met Buffy that she was going to be totally psyched <laughs> that he was there and and committed to what she was chosen to do. Like, he sees it as duty. This is your sacred well, duty. Yeah, I mean, you got to imagine it from Dallas's point of view, right? Which is, mm -hmm. he's a watcher, and we get this hint that there's more, like, there are more watchers. Like, he, he's, you know, he's come from England for a reason. He, he's maybe been sent, and... As far as we know, there is one Slayer, the Chosen One. So mm -hmm. from Giles' point of view, like, this is an honor for him. Like, he is the Watcher who's being chosen for the Slayer. She had a different Watcher in the movie who was terrible. And maybe that's why her relationship Donald with... Sutherland? Yeah. Maybe <laughs> that's Canadian why her icon? relationship with Giles is so rocky. She's just like, ugh, not another one of these old dudes telling me what to do. Um, yeah, that's true. Another man telling me yeah. what to do. But it's also the fact that, um, like, uh, uh, Donald Sutherland, I don't remember his name. Uh, I think it was, like, Murray died. or something. Yeah. <laughs> Murray. He did die. <laughs> it was definitely not Murray. <laughs> but um, he died. So I think it's another thing, too, is, like, uh, you, do you know how scarring it would be to be 15 years old and this old guy comes and, like, tells you got to do all this shit and then you do it. Then he gets murdered in front of you. Like, that's pretty, pretty... You know, everyone go watch the movie. Oh, his name's Merrick. <laughs> that's a little bit more, you know, that's a little, got a little more edge to it than Murray, but, you know, he was a good guess. Good guess. From. But yeah, no, so <laughs> I, I think Giles' point of view is he's being sent to America, which is terrible. 
because the tea there sucks. Yeah, but and he hates Americans, you can tell. It's this incredible honor. He is the watcher who got chosen to watch the actual Slayer. We don't know at this point what the rest of the watchers do. I guess they sit at home all day drinking their tea and, I don't know, reading books about vampires. But, <laughs> um, but Giles, in a way, he's also the chosen one, right? I love that. Yeah, to each generation a watcher is born. <laughs> <laughs> right, like a Slayer can only have one Watcher at a time. So th- I think that's where Giles is coming from. And you, you were talking about his disappointment. He was expecting more from Buffy. Well, he's projecting. He's projecting his own expectations yes. of how great this role will be. He's, you know, he's bought into the Watcher yes. hype. He thinks yes. this is awesome. Yes. And and Buffy obviously doesn't have the same background that he does. So Yeah, and uh, and she's also, I, like, I don't know how old Giles is supposed to be. Um, I want to guess, it, which is actually kind of alarming. He might be in his 30s like we are. <laughs> like, I don't think like, early 40s. Like, what do you think? No, he's definitely at least in his 40s at this point. Okay, okay. For a second, I'm, like, horrified. I'm like, he's our age. Okay. Uh, yeah, but uh, no, I totally agree. And I really like your assessment of Giles's personality, the way that he's he's viewing the situation. Um, and And Buffy is 100% like get fucked and just leaves like she like storms off and um Giles chases her and we see that Xander was standing behind the bookshelves listening to the whole conversation and I don't know how Giles didn't see him there he was standing like three feet away from him (laughs) no one comes into the library (laughs) I was gonna I was gonna point that out if you didn't so thank you it's like doesn't Giles know who's in the library before he goes off on one of his epic Slayer rants? Like, as far as we know, there's only one door in and out. And wouldn't he know yeah. if a student had come in? Like, you're not doing a great job at watching. Well, G- G- Giles is perhaps, well, we don't know yet, but he, he might be a great watcher, terrible librarian. I guess we'll find out. Uh, but also, uh, I mean, this is a little con- continuity, but, uh, remember earlier Willow had told Xander to go to the library yeah. and get a math book. So that's mm-hmm. why he's there. So anyway, he's like, the fuck? <laughs> he heard the whole thing. And then we cut to Buffy and Giles in the hallway. And I think you will probably say exactly what I'm going to say, where it- it's like, what are these physical boundaries between this librarian and Buffy. Giles is all over her. He's leaning into her. He's in her personal space. He, like, stops her from walking by putting his arm out. And this, like, grown-ass librarian teacher man at the school is having this, like, urgent and hushed conversation with this, like, girl (laughs) in the hallway. It's It's so weird. And so unnecessary. So unnecessary, but I, I mean, no one seems to bat an eye about it. They're like, whatever. I mean, it was a simpler here. time, right? <laughs> it was for the best of times. It was for the worst of times. Uh, but, but basically, Giles is um, talking to her about um, Sunnydale and all the supernatural occurrences that have been building up for years and years and years. And that's why Buffy is there. And Buffy is being pretty snarky. And she's like, I'm here because my mom moved here. You know, like, I'm here because my mom came. And Giles is like, okay, like, if you're going to believe that, like, your mom's here because we want you to be here, right? Mm. So he's saying something is happening. Signs are pointing to a mystical upheaval. It could happen within the next couple of days. And Buffy says, this is Sunnydale. How bad can it be? And those are famous last words because we pan down and we see that underneath the high school, there is some sort of underground lair or cave 
And it's it's what Buffy was dreaming about earlier in the episode. It actually gives me a lot of like fan of the opera vibes. Like it's got that. like lots of candles. There's right, probably so there's probably a piano in there. <laughs> can, can we stop for a moment and talk about yes. this sheerly impractical amount of candles? <laughs> like, yes, we can. Candles burn down <laughs> fairly quickly. How much yep. money are these people spending <laughs> on candles to light that space? It would be more efficient just to get an electrician down there and run some lighting because that is a yeah. shit ton of candles. <laughs> like, do they just they... have one person whose entire job it is to go through and replace the candles every day? Can they just kill one light technician and to set up LED lights all over this cave? That would be really helpful. Um, yep. There are a lot of candles there. There's a, there's a lot. There's there a lot are of stuff slightly there. fewer candles in there than in a teenage girl's bedroom. <laughs> it probably smells great down there. I bet they got a couple scented ones, you know, it's like like apple, oh cinnamon, like my favorite. I, I have I have comments for that in about three seasons. Okay, okay. I, I mean, we'll get there. Uh, we'll get there. So, <laughs> so it's a very chic vampire lair with lots of candles, as Kara was saying. And um, there's some sort of chanting going on. There's this like giant, uh, like beefy vampire who is doing some sort of prayer. He's saying like, uh, the sleeper will wake, the sleeper will wake. And um, we know these are vampires. I think we can just assume because there's well, one got vampire there. The faces, yeah. The vamp face, yeah, exactly. So he says, amen. So some sort of religious ceremony is happening here. It's very ominous. Um, so we cut to Buffy, who is in her bedroom, and she's do- she's trying on outfits. She's trying to pick out what to wear to the bronze that night, which is you know probably just a, a very normal thing that any 16-year-old will be doing on a Tuesday night, first day of school. <laughs> I'm picking out what I'm going to go clubbing in. Her response from her mom, I'm going to a club. And it's like... <laughs> Again, what kind of 16-year-old gets to go to a club? And yeah. uh, I, I just want to register, I don't like the outfit that she ends up wearing. Oh, we'll get there. So so she's actually, what's funny is I just I just want to point out that before she, her mother comes in, she's kind of like looking in the mirror and she's holding up two outfits and she's like, I'm an enormous slut. Or are you a fan of the Watchtower? And I'm like, are those the only two options that girls have? Yes. Like, they're either this like floozy slut or this nerdy I, I, to be honest I, you're you're an avid reader what's the watchtower it's that, the that like magazine a... published by jehovah's witnesses <laughs> okay that that joke is way funnier now that i know that i thought i thought at first the watchtower but i was thinking of the dark tower by stephen king <laughs> <laughs> but anyway i i <laughs> i mean maybe we should also track this too this is the 90s so i wonder if we're gonna see some slut sh- shaming you know some, some i think anti- we already are but I think let's, we just just, let's just wait until we get to the actual bronze. True, true. So um, so Buffy's mom comes in and she's looking fly as hell. Like Buffy's mom is hot. And um, yeah, it's like you just said, like she's like, where are you going? She's like, I'm going to the club. And her mom's like, fun. <laughs> and it's so weird because like no question. Her, que- her first question is, will there be boys there? And Buffy's like, no, mom, it's a nun club, which is so funny. But but like like Buffy's mom I like her I can already tell that I'm gonna have a very interesting relationship with Buffy's mom throughout the series but uh her parenting style I I can't put my finger on it and I don't want to mommy shame her 
But like I would, I would personally ask more questions than will right. there be boys there? Right. Okay. So just to <laughs> that point, interestingly, no dad. They haven't no explained dad, yeah. what's up. Like, what's up? Does she have a dad? Is he in the picture? Is he just at work? Like, it hasn't really yeah. been established what Buffy's parental situation is. Yes. And, and so it'll yes. be it'll be interesting going forward to see how that develops and how that explains her dynamic with her mom. Yeah, and I mean, one can assume that, they, you know, the way her mom's speaking, and, and this is something I'm going to give to her. Uh, we don't know her mom's name yet, but what, what she does talk about is being positive. She's like, and I kind of love it. She's like, I'm bringing positive energy into this new life we have here. Uh, like, she's got a new job that she's really excited about. She's going to kill it there. And she's just being really optimistic about this new start. So we might be able to assume that she just got a divorce or that Buffy's father is no longer around, like you yeah. said. But I, I, I do appreciate that, like, she's trying and she says, like, Buffy, like, you know, you just fell in with the wrong crowd. So we're going to start new. So I think, once again, like, moms can't help themselves. <laughs> like, she got to rub it in a little bit. She just fell um, in with the wrong crowd. So let's just let her go to a club. <laughs> Definitely so, going like, to meet the right crowd there. I know. I really want to give her mom the benefit. I really want to like her mom. I think we'll find that... <laughs> I, like I don't know we'll have to see what, what goes forward but I really want to like Buffy's mom and um yeah so they have this like cute little conversation and um, she's trying not to be overprotective or over nurturing and it's funny too because like Buffy is always going to be in danger and it, it's very clear that her mother doesn't know that her mother's not aware that she's a slayer I think that it appears they have a very nice relationship with each other even though her mother doesn't seem to give a shit about finding out where this mysterious club is or who she's going with or why she's going on a Tuesday. Did she finish her homework? How was school? Like there's a lot of stuff here that we, we didn't cover, but you know what? Buffy's walking to the bronze now. She's, she's in her new outfit that you said you didn't like. <laughs> it, 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 to me, it's her best interview outfit. Like she's got like a blue button up shirt. Right? She's got like these like heels and these straight legged she's pants. She's not even trying. <laughs> Her hair's in a bun. Like, I'm like, this is what you... Ch- uh, go as the slut. Like, choose the slut if you're going to pick one of these <laughs> one of these identities. But um, regardless, she, she chose that look. She's rocking the look because she's, you know, she's a confident woman. So she's walking down the street and we see that somebody's kind of following her. And as she walks towards what I assume is the bronze, she's like in an alleyway at one point. And I'm like, where is the bronze? I know it's in the bad part of town. But that does, does that mean that, like, the bad part of town is just a bunch of warehouses and alleyways? And that, again, a 16-year-old girl would walk by herself into this dark alleyway in a town yeah. where a dead kid ended up at the high school <laughs> that same day? Found. And her mom's not like, how are you getting to the club? Do you need a ride? It's nighttime. <laughs> what time is it? Is it 10 p.m.? I don't know what's going on. Um, but you know what? We're just going to go with it. Kara, we're just going to go with it. All right. So Buffy's in an alleyway <laughs> um, in, a, in a town she doesn't know, but she knows the way to the, the bronze. So she's walking in the alleyway. This guy is following her. And um, he she turns a corner. He turns a corner. And he can't find her anymore. He's in the shadows. We don't really get a good look at him yet. Um, <laughs> we pan up. <laughs> and Buffy is doing this Olympic-style handstand on a pole above the alleyway. And he walks underneath her, not knowing where she went. She swings down and kicks him in the back. Jumps down, puts her foot on his chest. She like, totally took him out. And... 
this is probably exactly what Joss Whedon had envisioned when he came up with Buffy. Because he said when he dreamed Buffy up, he pictured the typical blonde girl walking down an alley, gets attacked by monsters, but ends up kicking their ass. Mm-hmm. So that's that was his original concept for Buffy. So I think this scene sees that playthrough. Mm-hmm. And uh, we get a look at this this man. And oh my god, he is handsome. <laughs> I was going to ask you if this person's attractive. <laughs> he is a tasty treat. I'm not going to lie. He does it for me. Um, he looks young as fuck in this in this scene. The youngest we'll ever see. I mean, him, just everybody spoiler. looks super young in this. <laughs> everybody does, especially yeah. the <laughs> ones that we see in other shows, right? Like, yes, David Boreanaz. Yes. We see him later on in like Bones, and he just looks yes. older now. And yes. um, you know, Allison Hannigan. This was her breakout role, but she obviously went on to be in How I Met Your Mother for like seven seasons or or whatever, right? And she's got like a She's got like a nice. kid at this point, and uh, yeah, like everybody, everybody looks young right now. The the yes. the grainy non HD camera footage doesn't help either. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, no this this man is gorgeous, and <laughs> Buffy's kind of like um, she's on him, like her foot's on him, and he's like, I know what you're thinking, and don't worry, I don't bite. <laughs> And, like, he gets up and he's kind of like, oh, I thought you'd be bigger. I thought you'd be more strong, but you're really spry. And, like, I do I think he's an impressive actor at this point? Like, two lines there. I'm not I'm not loving it, but he's he's handsome. Like, this is a handsome guy. Um, and Buffy knows it, too. And, and they have, like, a back and forth where he knows she's the slayer. And he's like, you want to kill them all? And she's like, I want to be left alone. And he he says it. He says, you're standing at the mouth of hell, and it's about to open. So this is a tall, dark stranger who's given us facts. He's, he's coming here to, like, give her some knowledge. Another man telling Buffy what's up and what to do about it. Mm-hmm. He throws her a necklace. Oh, he throws her a package. And inside the package is this um, cross. It's like a silver cross. And uh, he says, you need to be ready. You need to be ready for the harvest. This is the necklace that Buffy saw in her dream at the beginning of the episode. So we know that this guy was part of that prophecy, that he's part of whatever future or life she's going to be having at Sunnydale. Um, so Buffy says, who are you? Which is what I also would ask. And he's like, a friend. And she's like, well, maybe I don't want a friend. And he's like, I didn't say it was yours. Because he's a fuckboy. Yeah, exactly. I was about to say, like, fuckboy is a perfect way to summarize it. Like, he's just trying (laughs) so hard to be cool in a way where it's like, yeah, and it's like, you're you're not cool. But it's it's kind of like, it's like Xander, if Xander were a bit better at, like, trying to be cool, right? Like, this is, this guy is like Xander on cool steroids. Um, Yeah. And and I think that's, it's very interesting. That so far mm-hmm. in this show, right, we have seen Xander, Jesse, Giles, this guy. Like, our cast of male characters is very small, and none of them are all that impressive yet in terms of the power that they um, put out there, like, in, in terms of how they come across, right? Even Giles, yeah. right? He tries to be assertive, and Buffy just kind of railroads through him. So, again, I think the show is establishing this very interesting dynamic where the female characters are often the ones who have more dominance in a scene, even when you have these male characters who 
more stereotypically you would expect to have more power or be more aggressive. Yep. I agree. And we'll have to track that as we go. Um, you know, who holds the power in the scene? Who is the dominating one? Anyway, he walks off into the dark and uh, she doesn't seem creeped out. She's just kind of like shook, probably because he's so handsome. So <laughs> cut. we cut to the bronze. We're at the bronze. We're at the club. And <laughs> it, it appears to be a giant warehouse. And all of these people in their awesome 90s outfits are standing around. This is like... The cheapest club scene ever. Like, this is what happens when you try to do a club scene on a mid-season replacement budget. And yeah, it's just... You, again, like you said, we just got to roll with it. Because yes. We just kind of got Let's to believe that this is a club scene. <laughs> and that all these kids are high school kids, I guess. Well, that's the thing. Is like, you know, so again, without going into spoiler territory, like, the bronze sticks around and it ages with our characters. So it's like... What, how does the bronze work? Is there like, is it mixed? Are there college kids here at the same time as high school kids? Or like, are certain days for people who can't drink and other days are for people who are over drinking age? Like, it, it appears to be for everybody, not just age, but like any class high, within the high school social class. Yeah, like, any, Willow anyone is, is there, there, right? And why would yeah. Willow be there? Like, she seems like she'd be more comfortable at home with a book. Yes, yes. But I mean, then, mind you, like, let's not put stereotypes on Willow. She might love partying at the club. I don't know. But but it's true. It's just like, what is what is the vibe here? What is going on? How is it legal? If uh, if anybody has fan fiction that is just about the legality of the operations of the bronze, <laughs> please send yeah. me a link. <laughs> we would love to read about it and, and just understand how this how the bronze is what it is just maybe it's like just like people don't care about dead bodies people don't care about minors drinking with adults they just sure. don't care so buffy is in there looking for cordelia and finds willow so yeah so like we said willow is hanging out there she's waiting for xander to come and she's eating like peanuts or something so it's very odd, and I, I think Buffy's happy to see Willow there. Maybe surprised, too. I don't know. But we know that Willow has a crush on Xander. I think that might have been clear from the very first scene that they were in. But she kind of says how her and Xander used to date. Turns out it was because they were little kids, and he stole her Barbie, so they broke up. Like, it was a cute little story, but that just shows that Xander and Willow go way back, mm -hmm. all the way to when they were, like, babies, and that Willow cherishes him like she came all the way to this club <laughs> to wait for him because he might show up mm -hmm. they talk about dating and willow says that she she's not cool and she's not witty and she doesn't know how to talk around boys where she assumes that buffy does and assumes that buffy's a great dater because probably because buffy's cool and pretty like buffy might be a little bit dorky and she might not be as like cool and, and smooth as willow might think but buffy is very confident and um she gives willow her philosophy and it's, it's life is short seize the moment because tomorrow you might be dead and willow really takes us to heart and buffy sees giles giles is there too <laughs> he's up top on the balcony and buffy sees him and she's like i'll be right back and once again a testament to willow's character that we're really getting to know her she says um, you don't have to like you don't have to come back and hang out with me I know I'm a loser and um, Buffy just kind of like smiles at that and she's like I'll be right back like you know like if I say I'm gonna be back I'll be back so Buffy goes up and goes to talk to Giles and Giles is at this children's club 
watching them all dance from up top. Um, this this is a problem. This is a really big problem. You're a teacher. Like, what would you say if the librarian of your school was seen at this like child's hangout area <laughs> watching people dance by himself? I mean, top. I felt awkward when I was teaching in England. And I, I didn't live in the same town as what I, where I was teaching. And I remember I was visiting some friends in another town that was not the one where we were teaching. But, like, we, were like, ran into some of our students in, like, a store. And it was so awkward. Like, you students don't want to see their teachers outside of school. And honestly, teachers don't want to see their students outside of school because it's just <laughs> weird. Yeah, and well, and to give Giles some credit, he hates it there. He he says it. He's like, I don't want to be here. He's like, I want to be at home with a good book and a cup of tea. And then Buffy rudely says, you need to get a personality. And I'm like, I like to be home and reading and chilling out. Like, I don't, like, you think I want to watch 16-year-olds, like, grind up on each other? I don't. <laughs> Unless it's on Buffy. <laughs> We're learning so much about you, Steph. I, I agree that... There's, you know, there's interesting stereotypes happening here. And I just, I love what Buffy says here. I love how she's like, so you like to party with students? Isn't that kind of skanky? Uh, and then after she calls him a textbook with arms. <laughs> I, I live for Buffy chirping Giles. Like this is just, yes. she dishes it out and, and Giles takes it. And that's their relationship is... He has to put up with her. Like, that is his job. Uh, yeah. Which is, that is the, the teacher-student relationship sometimes, right? Like, as the teacher, you have to put up with what your students say to you. Um, yeah. And and they're they're building a rapport. Yeah. Right? Like, that's going to be part of their relationship. And um, he does take it with stride. And he says he's there. I'm here because there it's a vampire breeding ground. Like, it's dark. There's, like, dancing. There's a lot of people, young people. Like, he's like, there are vampires here. And he figured she would be there. And uh, Buffy tells her, tells him uh, that this handsome stranger told her about the Hellmouth and that a harvest is coming. And Giles doesn't know what any of these things are, but he knows that it's important information. I am a little bit annoyed that uh, Buffy, he, she gives Giles this information and she seems a lot more concentrated on the guy that gave her the message rather than what the message is saying. But once again, we've already established that Buffy wants to have a normal teenage girl existence and she doesn't like where you care about boys and what you're wearing and going to the club where like you know the fact that like this guy told her like you're standing on a hell mouth and there's like a bunch of stuff happening that you need to be take responsibility for like i get why she's blowing it off oh completely it's that 16 year old yeah. mindset like her brain is not fully developed yet and she's she is not capable of processing that that level of events the way that an older person would be so it makes total sense that she's fixating on the stuff that attracts her. <laughs> and, um, you know, <laughs> yeah. to her, this idea of like, oh, Hellmouth, Harvest, like, it doesn't really seem real yet. And, and right. sh this is Buffy at her most innocent. I mean, it's not going to get any more innocent for her from here on out. So mm -hmm. enjoy it while you can, Buffy. <laughs> yeah. So so Giles takes his information. He's like, OK, well, this is something that, like, you actually have to look into. Um but then Buff, like, Buffy's looking over the balcony and Giles leans up behind her and is like, 
so close to her. Like, his arms, I'm pretty sure, are, like, around her. Not, like, touching her. They're placed on the banister around her. Oh, it's like, definitely he's, he's, like, a violation whispering. of personal space. Like, I would never want <laughs> to get that close to a student. He's whispering in her ear, right? So, oh, it's so weird. And I don't remember ever thinking about it at all when I was younger and watching no. this. Like, it never occurred to me that that's inappropriate personal space boundaries, you know? So Giles is just saying, he mentions nightmares. He's like, it's not like you're having the nightmares. And Buffy is shook by this because Buffy has been having nightmares and Giles just knows this. So clearly, something's afoot, you know? Um, and we cut to Cordelia. Cordelia's there. Um, she's, she's talking to her friends. And then Jesse comes toward her. And Cordelia says, oh, great, it's my stalker. And Jesse asks Cordelia to dance and she straight up turns him down. And honestly, good for her because I think we're supposed to, this is what, this is a 90s show. This is a show where Jesse is the dorky loser and Cordelia is the popular bitch. We're supposed to feel bad for him that she turned him down, that she didn't go and dance with him. But We've already established earlier in the episode that Jesse says inappropriate things to her and that he hits on her all the time and it's never uh, received well. Like she she always brushes him off. She always says no. And chances are he's been relentless about this pursuit of her for a long time. Like who knows how long. Just based on the fact that she calls him her stalker. So like he's around all the time and he's always pulling stuff like this. So I think the fact that she blew him off is really awesome. Because it just, like, this guy doesn't understand that her boundaries are no. She said no, and you don't need to be nice to guys that creep you out. I agree. I I really liked that Cordelia was just like, bye, and then leaves. (laughs) Well, so what we're seeing here is, is Cordelia's role being established in this show. She is Buffy's foil, which means that she is here to show us who Buffy is by being who Buffy's not. And really, she's the girl that Buffy used to be or or could have continued to be if she hadn't become the Slayer, right? The cool, yeah. popular girl who's obsessed with saying the right things, wearing the right things. Like, that was Buffy back in L.A., the beginning of the movie. She was a cheerleader. Being the Slayer has forced Buffy to change the way that she relates to people. And Cordelia hasn't had a similar experience. So... We're getting to see already this picture of like, this is what Cordy's role is in the series right now. She's going to be the foil to Buffy so that we understand the amount of growth that Buffy has undergone. Yeah, for me, I think it really actually demonstrates right off the bat for people who are watching it new or people who like whatever you're watching it in 2021. So I can already see how Cordelia's character has changed from how we viewed her in the 90s and in the 2000s to how we view her now. Because the way I'm reading this, and we've only watched, what, like oh, a little bit over half the episode now, um, Cordelia has amazing boundaries. She knows when, like, she's like, no, I'm shutting this down right now. Like, leave me the fuck alone. Mm-hmm. Where Buffy doesn't. Buffy lets these guys ask her all these questions, and she smiles politely because she wants to make friends, because she wants to be polite. But, like, Cordelia doesn't do that. And I, I value that in her character already. Mm-hmm. I don't like that she bullies. I don't like that she comes across as so superficial, but when it comes to her boundaries with men, I'm actually kind of digging it this episode. So Buffy and Giles are continuing their inappropriate close discussion upstairs. 
Giles says that there's a lot that Buffy doesn't know about her own powers and he's there to help her you know discover them and to understand them and he says like she as a slayer should be able to see a vampire without even looking or thinking she should be able to just know that a vampire is there and uh I guess we'll have to find out later in the series if she ever develops this like power that she can sense them I don't know (laughs) well so fun tidbit in the movie she was able to sense vampires because she got cramps oh really (laughs) yeah little like female kind of connection there and and i love that i I guess they decided not to keep that in the series but yeah that was that was her superpower (laughs) i didn't know i don't remember that but that is so awesome Okay, well, okay, well, Buffy lost it for between L.A. and Sunnydale. She lost that ability. Um, but she does find a vampire right away because she spots his clothes. She's like, oh, that guy's wearing carbon-dated clothes. So, um, like, that's obviously one. And Gi- you can tell Giles is, like, annoyed that she didn't recognize the vampire in the mystical in, way in the right way <laughs> yeah. yeah which is the, which is very way. much like bad teacher approach where it's just like <laughs> you know a student gives you a correct answer but then it's like they didn't get to the the solution the way you wanted them to it's like who the fuck cares like this student <laughs> figured it out and this yeah. is buffy showing that she's actually very intelligent and she yeah. does think about things and she does notice things it's just she notices them through the lens of a 16 year old girl who's interested in fashion and I, I also think it's interesting how you said earlier how Buffy was probably very similar to Cordelia um, before she came to Sunnydale, uh, assuming that she's like vapid and, um, you know, more concerned with her looks and her brains. But you're right, like Buffy, I don't think anything has indicated to us that she isn't intelligent and mm-hmm. that she doesn't think for herself. And we have to also carry that in with Cordelia. Absolutely. I mean, that yeah, line could have come out thing. of Cordelia's mouth, right? Like, Definitely. And yeah. that's what it is to be the foil is like Cordelia is every bit as smart and capable as Buffy. The only difference between Cordelia and Buffy is Cordelia is not the slayer. And that gives yes. her this more innocent perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I and mean, less of the weight of the world, I suppose. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, we're, so we see the vampire down there and he's talking to a girl. And oh, no, the girl is Willow. Willow has seized the day. She took Buffy's advice and she is talking to this man. And the man starts leading her outside. So Buffy's like, oh, fuck me, and has to go down and save her. And uh, Buffy goes into the, uh, is it the back uh, the back room? The, the alleyway Some behind kind of the storage room. She breaks <laughs> a leg off a chair. It's just yeah. like causing property she... damage. <laughs> Wherever she goes. But this is the thing. I kind of like that she... I noticed, I don't know why, but it stuck in my mind that she just broke the the chair leg off and uses it as her as her stake. And I'm like, Buffy's resourceful. Like, this mm-hmm. girl, like, uses what's around her, you know? Mm-hmm. And I like that. I think a slayer needs to be resourceful. So she's searching for Willow. We can't find her. We spent a lot of time back there with her, like, looking around corners and shit. Um, and then she, she grabs, someone comes up beside her and she grabs them and is about to stake them, but it's Cordelia. And... Cordelia says, what is your childhood trauma? <laughs> Which is another way of saying, what's your deal? And all her friends are behind her as well. And we know automatically now that Buffy's reputation is ruined. She's not going to be one of the popular girls in school because as soon as she leaves, Cordelia is like, I'm going to call everyone I ever know, I've ever met, to tell them what just happened to me and that Buffy's a freak. So she solidified her her status at this school and she goes back into the club and giles is like oh did you take care of it and she's like no i haven't found them yet 
Um, so they rush out and we see before they go that Jesse is talking to the same blonde girl that murdered the guy at the school at the beginning of the episode and she says her name is Darla. So cut to the next scene. There's a big bulky vampire. He's back there. He's still chanting and it, what appears to be like a pool of Kool-Aid. <laughs> like I know it's blood, but <laughs> it like looks really, really funny. And, um, a, an ancient vampire like it looks like Nesferatu like very like old school vampire look um comes out of the blood um is risen I assume well it, it's and... like it's like when you know your parents say you know don't frown don't make a funny face because it's gonna stick that way like that's what happened <laughs> he, he stayed in vamp face too long and now he's stuck yeah he drank too much of that kool-aid and <laughs> So here's another question I have about the practicality yeah. of this layer. So you've got this yeah. open pit of bubbling blood in the middle of your layer, which A, health and safety mm-hmm. problem. But mm-hmm, B, mm-hmm. if you've got this dude who's like chilling within this pit of blood and then he rises out of it, like wouldn't he be sticky and kind of like coated with blood? Or does he <laughs> have like magical nonstick clothes? I would imagine... <laughs> yeah it's like a non-stick situation or like you know like like when when Voldemort rose in Harry Potter the Goblet of Fire he he was thrown into a potion and came out completely clothed and robed and ready to go so I think it's just like magic it's just like man All this right. is rejuvenating blood blood potion you know <laughs> <laughs> one of those <laughs> okay um but I think it's also like think about it on like the filming aspect of it like did they rewind it where like he actually was being lowered into the pool of blood um and they just rewound it or or did it was a green screen like i, I want to know more Good about question. that you know <laughs> anyway the point is he comes out and obviously this is like like a bad guy Ooh, this is like what the chanting was all about and he's like i am weak <laughs> and um the big hunky the, the hunky ugh, the big like hulking the big one the big vampire um says the harvest will restore him so clearly uh this guy is back from the dead he's very weak he's very weak and we assume we know now because of that stranger in the alleyway that this is the hell mouth and um there's a force field that's preventing him from leaving so he needs to send these followers out to get him some food and by food i mean humans and he specifically says he wants young humans so (laughs) He's like a, a like a pedophile. <laughs> <laughs> so much creepiness around young people in this episode. Yeah, you're right. This is a horny episode. Like even even this old wrinkly vampire is like, I want you. <laughs> um. Anyway, this is so Willow's in trouble. Willow, we cut to Willow. She's with this this man who who's a vampire. We know, but she doesn't know that. And um, clearly, no one sat Willow down ever to be like, don't leave with men like strange men that you don't know don't don't walk down empty streets with them and she only slightly is worried when he's like i know a shortcut to the ice cream place it's through the cemetery and she's just like what and just like follows him there and i'm like uh girl like zero survival instincts like i can't even tell you how quickly i'd be out of there like if a guy was like like i'm all for cemeteries if i'm with my friends like if they want to walk through one okay fine but if I'm with some guy who clearly looks like a serial killer, I hard pass. Like, I'm so out of here. But anyway, she goes. She goes with him. Um, on Outside the bronze, Buffy runs into Xander, who finally shows up. And um, she says that Willow left with a guy and has she seen him? 
And Xander's first response is Willow. Like, as if, like, he cannot believe that Willow left with a guy. I'm assuming it's because Willow, you know, like she said earlier, she's very shy and Xander obviously knows her really well. But I also didn't appreciate how he's just like, oh, really? Like, how could anyone, like, like, Willow? She's a nerd. She's got, like, a checkered skirt on, you know? Then he calls out Buffy that he lets her know that he was fucking eavesdropping earlier and that she he knows she's the Slayer. But it's weird how he says it. He says, like, I know you think you're the Slayer. Why would he say that? So my interpretation of this is this is our chance to see a different side of Xander. Because up until this point, he's been the goofy, awkward guy who's trying too hard. And now we're getting to see that there there's something deeper and a little bit darker inside Xander. He's got a little bit of bite to him. And because he jokes most of the time. But... There's a point in Xander where his jokes turn a little bit hurtful, a little bit mean. And, and we're, we're seeing that in this scene. He's being very, like, honest with Buffy, and he's just kind of, like, putting the truth out there, and he's not sugarcoating it. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's a very interesting side of Xander's character. Yeah, and I, I don't like it. I don't like no, how he just I don't like, think I it's a good sign, but... Yeah. It's like a gaslighting line. It's just like, I, I know you think you're the Slayer. It's like, like uh, boy, you don't even know. You never <laughs> even knew what a Slayer was until today. So who are you to tell me what the fuck I am? Anyway, sorry. So so Buffy says Willow is going to be dead if we don't find her. And Xander kind of like clues in like, oh, this is a big deal. So we're back at the cemetery and Willow has allowed this man to bring her to like this giant like tomb. Would you call it a tomb? Um, and he's like, let's go in. And she's like, no, thank you. And he basically throws her in there and she kind of stands her ground a little bit where she's like, that wasn't funny. I'm going to leave. Uh, but it's way too late, girl. Like you've already, <laughs> like you're, you're, you're in, you're in it. That's when Darla shows up and Jesse's following behind her and Jesse is fear, like profusely bleeding from the neck. So clearly she bit him just like she bit the guy at the beginning of the episode and Willow's freaked out, obviously, and Jesse's kind of like, "Oh, I think you, I think you bit me when we were making out, or something like that." Something stupid. So this is the this is where the shoulder nibbling line comes full circle. <laughs> here, here it is. And was it worth the wait? <laughs> I don't, I don't know. <laughs> um. Anyway, um. So clearly, these are the two youthful treats that the old vampire is going to be feeding off of, and. Then Buffy and Xander show up, which is great. And we actually see for the first time how confident Buffy is facing these two vampires. And we know that at least the girl vampire, Darla, is bad news. Like, we know that she's murdered people already, from what we can Mm -hmm. tell. Um, And and Buffy is so fucking cool. She's, like, so snarky. And she, like, she's, like, pretending, like, oh, this is a cute place. Just need some throw pillows. Like, cute place to hang out. Like, uh, very, very Peter Parker of her. And uh, that's how you kind of know that Joss Whedon wrote the script because well, he's a huge comic book fan. Yeah, this is the most important scene of the entire episode. It's the climax. And this is the show's one chance to establish Buffy's heroic character. Up until this point, yeah, she's been snarky. She's been a bit whiny at times. You know, she's been nice. She's been cool. <laughs> and awkward and dorky. Like She's exactly. a lot of things this episode. But, yeah. Yeah. you know, for the, the teenage girls who are watching this and, and even the teenage guys, like this is the moment that the series really has to capture you and make you like like Buffy 
and want to be Buffy and want to be this heroic. So there's a lot of weight resting on Sarah Michelle Gellar's shoulders in this scene to Mm -hmm. pull it off. And I think she does fantastic because the thing about snarky heroes, right, is it can be a little bit cheesy. Um, I think you see that in some of the Avengers movies and stuff, like some of those heroes, it's just a little too over the top. And again, I mean, some of those movies, Joss Whedon. Um, But (laughs) Buffy does it really well. And it helps that she has like Julie Benz playing Darla to act off of. Like, yes, it's, it's just it's so good because Darla does not let her land any of that. She's like, who the fuck are you? Oh, I'm going to like eat you for dinner, right? She she's not taking what Buffy's putting down and that really helps keep the scene going. Yeah, and it's also like, you know, we're not going to we don't know what Buffy's going to do yet. We don't like we know she's powerful, we know she's a slayer, but now we're actually going to see her slay. Fans of the show like you and I who have seen this scene probably many times, we might forget that this is the first time mm-hmm. that we see Buffy as a slayer. Mhm. And actually, like, embracing the thing she was born to do. Yeah. And, and you, like you said, we don't know exactly what's going to happen. Neither do the vampires, for what it's worth. Which, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it reminds me a lot of one of my favorite TV series, Doctor Who. And how often the Doctor is put in these character, in these positions where she will be amongst a bunch of bad guys. And very often, they don't know who she is. Because she's traveling through time and space. And we could be anywhere in the universe... And she'll waltz into the bad guy in the middle of the bad guy's plan and just kind of be like, yeah, I'm going to stop you. And <laughs> I just I love characters like that. I love yeah. heroes who have that confidence, like you said. So for 16 yeah. year old Buffy to bring it at the end of this episode, it's like, oh, yeah, so powerful. Yeah. It's a testament to Sarah Michelle Gellar, who this whole has played a lot of different emotions in a different and has had a lot of different scenes to play with in this episode. But here we see her being strong and being powerful. It radiates off her, the confidence. And like you're like, this is why she was casted. This is why this like five foot three girl was and casted in this role. This is my favorite quote happens in this scene where she says, we're talking violence, strong language, adult content. You know, that's what the show is promising its viewers, right? They're like, we're going to sneak this stuff past the network and you're going to enjoy this show because this is what you're going to get. It's going to be sexy. It's going to be a little bit violent. It's going to be a little (laughs) bit transgressive. Yeah, but it's going to be great. You're going to want to watch it. You're gonna, we all, we like, Buffy's, like, goading the mod, right? And we're yeah. like, oh, what? Like, what is going to happen? What's going to happen? Okay, so tell and us what happens. Uh, Buffy <laughs> stakes the vampire behind her, the man. She stakes the guy that was attacking Willow, and he turns to dust. Yes. And Darla is scared like you you see for the first time um the first character we've ever met on the show is darla and she looks scared and um now we also know that vampires explode into dust when they when mm-hmm. they die she dusted and him. yeah she she du- our first dusting of the show <laughs> and uh her and darla start fighting and um xander jesse and willow take off uh, she's like get out of here they they run away and i i will say the fighting is bad <laughs> And, um, you know, this is the first time, you know, uh, like, we're all here for mm-hmm. the first time. This is the first episode. The fighting looks really cheesy, but, like, it's a pilot episode. I'm sure yeah. they didn't hire, like, the best choreographer for this shit. Um, but it doesn't last for long, which is good. So 
someone grabs Buffy from behind and it's the big beefy vampire and and he starts kicking her ass like he he basically throws her around right so Buffy dusts the 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 dude and -hmm. this is a very classic setup right where you've got kind of like two bad guys and Buffy deals with the first one really really easily but then so we're expecting her to just deal with Darla in the same way but then Darla proves to be a bit more challenging. So clearly mm-hmm. Darla is a more experienced vampire than this other guy. Like she knows what she's doing and yep. she puts up quite a fight and she kind of, you know, she can hold her own against Buffy. So now we're starting to see, oh dear, Buffy's in trouble. Mm-hmm. And then just as Buffy's getting the upper hand, big vampire shows up and he, he just, he comes out of nowhere and grabs her by the throat and lifts her up. Yeah, and it's very violent. Buffy could have died there. Like, he could have just yep. snapped her neck right there. So yep. it's it's a little bit by the grace of television that she doesn't. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. him kicking Buffy's ass is, is so important because we can't have an overpowered Slayer at the beginning of the series. So what we're no. doing here is we're establishing that there are bad guys out there who are more than a match for Buffy. And this is why she has to actually start taking this seriously and train with Giles. Like she's not ready for all the vampires and all the all the danger that's out there. She actually has weaknesses that she needs to mm-hmm. deal with. And while they're fighting, he's like, you know, you are strong. I'm stronger. Like he says like a couple of cheesy things. This guy is, is not a great actor <laughs> and the fake teeth don't help him. They look bad. And we cut to Willow, Xander, and Jesse. They're running out into the cemetery. And then we see that they're actually surrounded by, by vampires. And it's actually quite scary. You know, Oh, like, it's so I, scary. I like, how are they going to get out of that? They don't have any superpowers. There's at least six of them, I would say. And then Darla comes up behind them. And they all have vamp, pa- vamp face on. And it is actually quite scary. And um, what also adds to the scariness is that, like, Giles is in... I think it cuts to Giles very quickly. He's in the library researching the harvest. And then it has this uh, beefy vampire start, like, quoting almost like... um, Like a spell or or, um, a chant again. Where he kind of says what the... It's more like a prophecy. Like, to me, it's... This vampire is a believer. It's Mm -hmm. It's very biblical, this imagery. And I think that's very important because it's, again, it's establishing that the reason he's triumphing over Buffy at this point is not his physical strength. It's actually his belief in the righteousness of his cause. He is a true Mm -hmm. believer, and that is the most dangerous thing you can be. And Buffy at this point doesn't actually believe in herself as the Slayer. And this Mm -hmm. is going to be a common theme that we're going to see repeat throughout the series. But right now, Buffy can't beat this guy because it doesn't matter how much strength she has or how much strength he has. She doesn't actually believe in herself. And so he's going to beat her every single time until that changes. Mm, I, yeah, I, I 100% agree with you. And uh, like the things that he, he's quoting, the, th- the fact that he's like saying this belief system or whatever, uh, the prophecy... Um, and he's saying it while like a montage is happening of like, we see that Willow, Xander and Jesse are in trouble. We see Buffy like, you know, in pain and about to lose this fight. Uh, we see Giles doing his work. Like it kind of gives you a one last overview of everybody that we've met in this series and where we're all, where they all are at the, at the moment. And I do have to wonder, because he throws her what looks like very violently and very painfully against the sarcophagus, and she, like, kind of flips over it. 
And I'm like, I wonder how much of this pain Buffy feels. Like, she's obviously very strong. And mm-hmm. I wonder the same thing in superhero movies. Like, how much pain do they actually feel with these things? Yeah. But that looks so... It could have, like, would have broken a normal person's back, 100%. Yes. Anyway, he, he ends up picking her up and throwing her into the sarcophagus. And she's like, ah! And then she looks at the dead body. She's like, ah! Like, it's a very, like, 90s cheesy horror film. Um... And then, you know, she's like looking up like, where is he? And then, boo, he appears. And it looks like he's like, oh, man. And then he's about to bite her. And then to be continued. I I legit don't remember how they get out of this one. Um, it's been a little <laughs> bit over three years since I've watched this episode. So, uh-huh. like, I've watched this series more times than I can count. And I know the whole series off by heart. But, there, you know, individual episodes, sometimes I don't remember every single detail. And for the life of me, I can't remember how they get out of this scrape. So I know they don't all die because out. there's a whole series coming, but <laughs> it's great. And, and I think this is a fantastic cliffhanger. Um, yeah. You know, sometimes first episodes are a little bit rough. And, and I think that the first season of Buffy in general is, is rough overall. But honestly, as far as series premieres go this episode does everything it should do. Like we meet all the main characters. We get a basic idea of their personalities. We get a little bit of action, a little bit of drama. We get some exposition so that people who haven't seen the movie can get up to speed. Like this is a really well done episode. Yeah. I I was going to say like, if you do think that a, that people that are watching this for this pilot, which is what, you know, you call the first episode of, of a show, um, would they watch it and be like, I want to know what happens. I want more. Um, or would a new list, a new person watching this nowadays watch this first episode and want to continue? Uh, listeners, if you are actually watching the show for the first time in 2021, please let us know. Let us know if this is something that you'd be like, that you are like, I cannot wait to find out. Yeah, I because think it holds it is, up. I think it holds up too. I, I was actually really, I mean, obviously talking it through with you is, is it make, gives it a new dynamic for someone who's seen it many times. But I think it, it, it establishes a really strong protagonist. It establishes that there's going to be a lot of conflict to come. Uh, there's some romance in there, right? There's a, a lot of lore if you're really into that kind of thing. Like there's a lot mm-hmm. that anybody could grab onto. And I think I think the fact that Buffy is a supernatural show turns people off people who aren't used to watching stuff like this like oh they're like all oh, vampires like i'm not into twilight uh this is so much more than that and and buffy i think we'll find as we continue on uh is full of surprises like we said at the beginning like, it's, it's not your average teen mm-hmm. show it's not your average vampire show it's not your average love story like there's a lot of stuff that happens in this show that i think will surprise a lot of people agreed so Let's let's do what we're going to be doing for every episode at, uh, when we finish off. Uh, we're going to ask, who is your hero this episode? Uh, I'm going to go with Buffy. I think yep. it's pretty obvious. Like, moving to a new school is hard. And she has to deal with that while also dealing with the fact that her Slayer days are not actually behind her. And she's holding up well. Like, yeah, she's complaining <laughs> and stuff. But this episode is really about making a choice. When Buffy sees that vampire leaving with Willow, she has just finished telling Giles, I'm retired. This isn't my problem. You know, I'll see a, I'll slay a vampire if I see them, but I'm not going to get involved. And she chooses to get involved. And like you were saying earlier, when she accidentally confronts Cordelia, that ruins her popularity in high school. Like, 
this episode is Buffy choosing, well, however reluctantly, to continue to be the Slayer. And so she's got to be my hero for this episode. Very good choice. You know, I'm going to I'm going to take it as somebody who has also seen this show many times. I'm, I'm going to pick Cordelia for my hero this this episode. Yes, that's a good choice, too. This Cordelia, I'm 32 years old. And the first time I watched this show, I was a, a, like a preteen. Yeah. So my version, my view of Cordelia from this episode is so different from how I used to think of her. Mm-hmm. I love her. I think she, the way that she blew off Jesse, the way she has her boundaries in place, like say what you will about Cordelia. I, I think that she was heroic for a woman in sure. this episode. She had, a, she was that. a great role model. Yeah. Do be more like Cordelia people, especially <laughs> when it comes to men. <laughs> so yeah, that was, that was season one, episode one, the pilot Welcome to the Hellmouth, Steph. Uh, grr, arg. <laughs> <laughs> to, to every to every generation, a podcast is born, and it's this one. So right on. Thanks again, everyone. Thanks, Kara. We will see you next time. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Prophecy Girls. If you've got some comments, message us on our social media channels. Follow us at Prophecy Girls Podcast on Instagram and Facebook, and Prophecy underscore Girls on Twitter. You can also reach out to our email at prophecygirlspodcast at gmail.com or visit our website, prophecygirls.ca. We can't wait to hear from you. See you next week. Bye.